0: Henry K Productions. The production. guys righteousness just this Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica. From a magical place at the intersection of words, sound and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears.
1: Bob Andy stood at his desk, sorting through some unopened envelopes, and then dropped them back down before glancing at me through a pair of gold-framed Ray-Ban aviators. Looking like he belonged on the cover of a United Colors of Benetton catalog, he was backlit by beams of sunlight, poking through the open window shutters, The sun's rays highlighting touches of gray entwined in his dark dreadlocks. A red silk shirt contrasted against the faded wood-paneled walls of his office and swayed to the rhythms of the stand-up fan, spinning in the corner.
0: Good day, Kirio. Welcome to Kingston. I'm honored to have you.
1: Thank you, Mr. Anderson, but I'm the one who's honored. You may have mentioned on the phone that I was going to be working for a legend.
0: Legend. That's a term of endearment that I would much prefer reserve for when I'm not here. However, I'm humbled by the compliment. Bob, nice to meet you.
1: We shook hands and chatted for a bit. My first take, he was confident, eloquent, and genuine. For some reason, he liked calling me by my last name. It made me feel like a recruit on my first day of training camp. I've been planning it all week, son. Which really wasn't far from the truth.
0: Here you are. Don't let you make fool, you, with her beauty. She will break your heart every time. But every once in a while, if you're patient and lucky, she will give you the most unforgettable moments of your life.
1: Bob Andy was chosen to be the creative director at Tufgang for both his musical credibility and strong moral conviction. TuffGong was looking to build their brand, expand it from being known as Bob Marley's label to an international recording company, releasing a well-rounded catalogue of material. He was producing songs with Jamaica's top singers, but he was also working with a crop of new artists that represented the musical diversity of the growing label. Yvette Grant was a 15-year-old gospel sensation. She brought the house to tears when she performed at a Miss Universe qualifying event in Kingston. She was being held as Jamaica's Whitney Houston. The Rebel Rockers from California were part of a new generation of reggae bands emerging from outside Jamaica. Yet eager to explore the birthplace of the music. Their lead singer Princess was in town recording. There was also a modern roots reggae trio, the Bibles, based out of the rough and tumble Waterhouse area of Kingston. Besides a reputation for gangsters and gunmen, Bob told me that Waterhouse was known for two things world class athletes and world class singers. And when he asked if I wanted to head there with him for a meeting with the group, I told him I'd love to meet the singers. And if possible, avoid the gangsters and gunmen. Before leaving TuffCon, we walked over to Mrs. Marley's office, so Bob can introduce me. It was located in a small building on the compound, across from the parking lot. Out front was jammed with a group of Rastas. It was unclear if they were her musical entourage, or part of an elite security detail. Or maybe, both... Decked out in mostly military-style regalia, accentuated with an assortment of red, golden, green scarves, belts, and head wraps, they looked like modern-day versions of the biblical hero Samson. Some of her soldiers wore long, knotty dreadlocks that could barely be contained, while others had short, budding twines just beginning the journey. Regardless, there were no bald heads in the house. Including me. Thanks to the Jamaican humidity, mixed with Brother Nelson's open car windows... I looked like a young Einstein. Ordinarily, I would have felt uncomfortable walking through this crowd, but when Mrs. Marley's crew saw Bob Andy, you could feel the immediate reverence. They greeted him with a traditional Rastafarian salute by tapping their hearts with their right fist, and then a slight bow of the head to show respect.
0: Greetings, one, greetings, low.
1: I'm not sure if they even noticed me. Sister Rita Marley, the stoic matriarch of the Marley family, was on the phone when we walked in.
2: Please, just give me a minute.
1: As regal as ever, she resembled an African queen. As a singer in Bob Marley's iconic backup group, the I-3s, she had basically been through the same trials and tribulations as her husband. She endured long rehearsals followed by late-night recording sessions, physically demanding world tours, not to mention the Jamaican political drama of the 70s which included surviving a bullet from an assassination attempt on her life and then performing the next night wrapped in bandages. All the while being a wife and a mother, raising her young children, Rita Marley was no ordinary woman. Survivor, visionary, and now this corporate Rasta, I'm proud to say, was my boss.
2: Lovely to meet you, Henry. We were all very excited when you asked for the opportunity to come to Jamaica and work here at Gong.
1: No, thank you, Mrs. Marley. Thank you for the opportunity. This is like a dream.
2: I know you will be in very capable hands working with Bob Andy. There's nothing he hasn't seen or done in this industry. Am I right, Bob?
0: Sometimes I wish that wasn't the case.
2: I may have seen too much. And anything you need while you're here? Mm -hmm. Feel free to stop by the office any time.
1: Mrs. Marley gave me a firm handshake before saying goodbye. She placed her other hand on top of mine, in a warm, motherly way. I was so nervous, I was sure she could feel me shaking.
2: By the way, Henry, that was a nice poem you wrote. We turned the house on Hope Road into the Bob Marley Museum. There's a room with fan mail with letters from all over the world. Your poem is hanging up there. You must check it out sometime.
1: This was so embarrassing. Mrs. Marley was referring to a poem I mailed to Jamaica when I was still in high school. I couldn't believe it was even still around, and that she knew I was the same person who wrote it.
2: Oh, Bob, can you stay here? I need to talk to you about something. Love. One love, Henry. Bless up, Bridget. Carry up.
1: Bob stayed, and I walked back outside through the lion's den. It was hot, and I found a spot in the shade, under a nearby tree, where a Rasta, dressed in a khaki uniform, was washing a dark blue BMW. Mrs. Marley's crew grooved to the music playing from the car, and a heavy bass line filled the courtyard. Still holding a garden hose, which was dripping onto his knee-high rubber boots, the Rasta man walked over towards me. His gray dreads were wrapped on top of his head like a turban, to keep from getting wet,
0: Greetings in the name of the most high Jah. Yes, I, Bunny Ross. Bunny Ross
1: was the handyman at Tufcom. He was a loyal friend and soldier to Bob Marley from back in the day. The family kept him on out of respect to his loyalty to Bob. He seemed to know everything that was going on in the place, including who I was. And I hadn't even been there more than a couple of hours. Must be the U2. came down from America to work here. He spoke with a mellow, confident tone. It gave off a calm inner peace. His eyes would light up when he spoke about the Marley family and how much gratitude he had for them. He was a simple country rasta, living out his dream.
0: Anything the eye need, just check the eye. Because us grow some of the sample weed in Jamaica. Yes, I, the indica. You ever heard of the indica?
1: That sounds appetizing, Bunny, but I think I'm okay for now. I appreciate the offer.
0: No, Henry, man. Back with that. In, hey, in Jamaica, we don't say appreciate. We say appreciate love. We don't hate anyone.
1: Rasta don't hate, only love. Okay, bunny. Appreciate love. I appreciate love the offer. Yeah, I
0: must forward to the hills for some idle food in the area. You know, Americans love too much Burger King and Kentucky. Yeah, man, this Burger Kill. No with that I, I, tire. vital. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes.
1: Bob and I pulled out of Tufgong onto Marcus Garvey Drive, and almost immediately we ran into Kingston's brutal rush hour traffic. Exactly how you'd imagine a third world city of a million people with an outdated road system and tight pedestrian filled streets, where buses, bikes, and cars share the road with the occasional donkey cart. The donkeys, are the most considerate drivers. Creeping along slowly gave ample opportunity for some of the local street kids to make Bob Andy's car from a distance and then close in. Bob lowered his tinted window and greeted the youth. And although they offered up smiles, their hollow eyes and desperate stares told a different story. These weren't hustlers. They were hungry. Bob emptied out his pockets and handed over what he had. It was obvious this was a routine. He seemed to know most of them by name. And in the time it took us to get to the next traffic light, they filled us in on all the street gossip of the day. They even gave us a traffic report and told us which roads to avoid. Patient and thoughtful, Bob spoke with them the way a father would casually speak to his own children. He looked directly into their timid eyes, and you could see it made them uncomfortable. These were kids who were not used to being looked
0: at.
1: Then again, Bob Andy knew what it was like to be ignored as a child, to be on the streets, longing for a home. Also from the ghetto, as a young boy living on Alexander Avenue in Kingston 13, he was so desperate for a family that he showed up on the door of the Maxfield Park children's home, an orphanage, and begged to be let in. With sporadic education, he was forced to learn about life through his own experiences. More often, they were cruel than kind. He taught himself to write songs tinkering with a piano when he was just a teen, as he tried to find a way to escape a tormented childhood. But young Keith Anderson had a thirst for knowledge, a desire to learn and grow that was so intense that he actually willed himself out of the ghetto to become one of the most accomplished and influential Jamaican artists in the world. It wasn't only singing and songwriting that he'd have to teach himself, but even the most basic things, things that most of us take for granted, like love, trust, hope, values and feelings that a child would normally learn from a parent or loved one. Bob Andy, like the neglected children that he so often wrote and sung about, had to discover these things on his own. In searches that sometimes took him to dark places. However, in the end, based on the tenderness of his songs and their expressions of unending hope, I would say he taught himself well.
2: Why
1: In Jamaica, when an area is poor and neglected, it's called a ghetto. When an area is poor and neglected, armed and dangerous, like Waterhouse, it's called a garrison. Kingston's garrisons were formed in the 1970s, during a period of intense political turmoil, when the small island was drawn into the center of a violent and deadly proxy war between the U.S. and Soviet Union. Jamaica's defiant prime minister, Michael Manley, the leader of the People's National Party, PNP, had publicly embraced Fidel Castro and a socialist agenda that had the middle class panicked and an upper class fleeing the island in droves and buying condos in North Miami. The CIA drew a line in the sand with one objective. Keep Jamaica from becoming the next Cuba at any cost. After inflicting excruciating economic pain on the island, the CIA literally decides to call in the big guns. They recruit Edward Ciaga, leader of the opposition Jamaican Labor Party, JLP, and his brutal ghetto militia, dubbed the Shower Posse, led by their enforcer, Lester Jim Brown Coke. Based out of Tivoli Gardens, a JLP garrison stronghold, the CIA arms and trains the Shower Posse to destabilize the manly government with a campaign of sheer terror and asymmetrical warfare, instigating a bloody turf battle between the PNP and JLP that made the Bloods and Crips feud look like a slumber party pillow fight. It was gerrymandering by AK-47. And by 1980, after years of bloodshed, the U.S. backed Siaga and his JLP party were victorious at the polls. Big business and wealthy Jamaican citizens let out a collective sigh of relief. However, ghetto people from both sides were left cleaning the blood off the streets of Kingston and are still burying bodies from a war that changed nothing for them. The former friends and neighbors who were massacring each other had more in common with each other than with the bigger heads they were killing for. And it wasn't only innocent Jamaican lives that were lost. Because when you create a monster, it's only a matter of time before it comes back to bite you. Say Saturday's early morning
2: shootout at the Taste of the Islands restaurant that left four people dead and 20 wounded has the clear-cut signs of a posse attack.
0: This is textbook for them: the indiscriminate shooting in a crowded area where there are bystanders or innocent people. They're out to send a message.
2: And what message is that?
0: That they're not to be messed with.
2: They're not your typical gang. He says they're youths with Jamaican roots.
0: Initially, they were politically motivated. They wanted to make a political statement in Jamaica. Here in the United States, they've graduated to the fact that they control a lot of the drug trade.
2: The Jamaican gangs are a nationwide problem. problem.
1: With limited opportunities, it's no surprise that a group like the Bibles would dream about singing their way out of a garrison-like waterhouse. Just a few years earlier, due to public pressure and the genre's overwhelming popularity, the Grammys finally recognized reggae music with its own category. The first Grammy Award went to the band Black Uhuru, from none other than Waterhouse. With biting social commentary set to Sly and Robbie's pulsating rhythms, the spiritually drenched vocals unleashed by lead singer Michael Rose are at times as righteous as an Oman's call to prayer. Or a canter, chanting on Sabbath evening. Songs like Emotional Slaughter conveyed such a realistic depiction of ghetto life that as a teenager growing up on Long Island, I somehow thought I was able to understand the ghetto. But driving through Waterhouse with Bob Andy, I'm not sure what I understood. Once we veered off the main road, it felt like the set of a Hollywood dystopian thriller. Narrow lanes were obstructed by potholes. That looked like landmines exploded. Electrical wires dangled from tilted telephone poles. The skeletal remains of cars clogged the streets. They left no margin for error as we passed, causing our car to slow down to a halt. When Bob told me to open my windows, I realized why. These were checkpoints, as tightly monitored as any border crossing between Gaza and Israel. He told me not to be fooled by the casual, almost nonchalant greetings from the area youth. These were soldiers.
0: Hard as nails, solid as a rock, hardened by the streets.
1: Some of the residents of Waterhouse will never leave. And in spite of the challenges, many will find a way to endure physical and emotional tolls of ghetto life. For the Bibles, survival was in a song. I sat on the front step of a small cement block home with a partially finished second floor. It looked like construction had been on hold for a while. A metal grill that surrounded the cramped patio and covered the windows was a reminder of how dangerous a place this was. There was a small fenced-in yard with no grass, and unused cinder blocks scattered around provided seating for the anxious singers. A couple of dogs lazily meandered around the yard, sniffing through the dirt for something to eat. One of them eventually gave up and settled down for a nap on my new Reeboks. There was a smell of sewage from a nearby gully. It took some getting used to. It would be that way until the rain came and washed it out. Right now, Kingston was in a drought. Yet the Bibles seemed oblivious to their surroundings as they began to sing in the late afternoon heat. The sound of a cappella voices echoing down the waterhouse streets. This was their moment, a Friday afternoon front yard audition, a Jamaican version of The X Factor. But if the Bibles didn't make it to the next round, they didn't have the luxury of going back to a family farm in the country or working as a barista at Starbucks. They didn't have the luxury of going anywhere. So they stepped into the moment, let their instincts take over, became one as a group and one with the song. When they finished, they took it back to the top, over and over again, like they'd done a thousand times before in this very spot. Each time, their harmonies got tighter. Their voices grew warmer. Beads of sweat dripped from their foreheads and would splatter in the air when they shook their dreads. Bob Andy's eyes were closed while he listened. As long as he didn't stop them, they kept singing. So many times that I started to memorize the words. Then, silence. Waterhouse grew still. I could hear a radio playing from a house a few doors down, and a dog barking as it chased a car down the street. The Bibles waited for Bob to speak, but he was a man who chose his words wisely. And he wasn't afraid of what some people referred to as an awkward silence. He relished those moments. They erupted in joy when they heard they would get a deal from Tough Gong Music, the label started by Bob Marley and the Wailers. It was a moment when a dream went from impossible to improbable. While the celebration was well-deserved, it was short-lived, the young group was about to get a reality check, a master class in the Jamaican music business, as told by Keith Anderson, PKA Bob Andy. So this wasn't the typical meeting where a record executive promises the world to a young band. No talk about fancy sports cars, stacks of money, or poolside video shoots. This was a darker story, based on decades of his own experiences. Tales of unbridled power and greed, a system that preys on young and naive talent. Artists who are so hungry they are willing to sign away the rights to a song for a couple of beef patties. And many did. His words danced a fine line, trying to be realistic without being discouraging. He wanted to make sure they were prepared for the journey. And all the possible outcomes.
0: Unfortunately, while music is spiritual, the music business lacks soul. But regardless of all the financial misfortunes that I have experienced, I would not trade any of it, because even the smallest rewards outweigh the heaviest price. Remember, most important, there is no expiry date on a dream. If you don't have a dream, you can never have a dream come true.
1: It was the end of a long, hot day in Kingston. At some point, the sun disappeared behind the mountains, but I hadn't noticed when. A breeze started to drift in from the harbor, offering some relief. We drove off with the windows open. Word must have gotten back there was a celebrity in the area. As we pulled out of Waterhouse, we received a warmer reception than we did coming in. Bob was greeted by well-wishers, female fans were blowing kisses, and gangsters gave their rude boy salutes with fingers pointed in the air like guns. We pulled onto the main road into the Jamaican dusk. It was gray and hazy, and while the ghettos and garrisons were hunkering down and praying for a peaceful night, the lights in the hills around the city were coming to life. Kingston's more fortunate residents were just sitting down for their first course of dinner. Heading closer to the lights, the mood of the city shifted. Things felt calmer, more relaxed. Roads were paved... The streetlights actually worked. The area had a residential feeling with modern apartments, refurbished houses, stores, and plazas. As Kingston's downtown had deteriorated from the crime and violence of the 70s, upper class Jamaica was faced with a decision what is revitalize downtown, reinvest in the neighboring communities, and bring the area back to financial health, or just forget about it, forget about. build a new downtown from scratch, an uptown downtown, closer to where they reside. Welcome to New Kingston, where I was staying, at a little hotel called The Indies on Holborn Road, recommended by Dr. Dredd. And lucky for me, Bob had an apartment just up the street, which was going to make getting to work and back much easier. I offered to buy Bob dinner, since I knew he gave away most of his money earlier, I was looking forward to enjoying a nice meal but when I looked over at Bob Andy he seemed preoccupied that was when I realized that going to Waterhouse was a much different experience for me as it was for him I was able to leave when we drove out he wasn't
0: Land Podcast is produced by Henry Kane Association with Box Studios. Make sure that I item click the link below. You know, you know. Make sure you click the link below. Like, share, and subscribe. Bro. So join the Roots Gang and Roots Land. Yes, <laughs> <It's> Rasta. <laughs> I tell you. Don't worry about a thing because
2: every little thing is going to be alright. Henry K. Productions.